Our text for meditation this first Sunday after Christmas is on our epistle reading, Galatians 3, verses 23 through 29. Hear the word of our Lord. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Now grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I took one look at my transcript this morning and went, you know, this just isn't going to work. It is pretty mangled. It's all over the place. So please pray for me as I'm kind of doing this on the fly with prayer and study as my main weapons for this sermon today. And it's important. Because this is a passage that has been absolutely mangled and abused by people who pretend to be Christians but hate the Bible. It has been used to confuse law and gospel, to proof-text liberal theology, and to advocate for antinomianism in the most abominable ways possible. And that's not even touching on the infamous 28th verse. Let us do nothing more this Sunday than to discuss the context, discuss the passage, make some connections, and rejoice in the treasures that God's Word has for us today. You see, with this passage, St. Paul is speaking about two precious things that we have as Christians. We have freedom, and we have equality. But we don't have these in the way that our modern ears poisoned at the well of liberalism from the 17th century onward, the way that those ears hear them. It is not the same kind. But St. Paul brings up freedom and equality as a response to someone. He is writing to the Galatian church, which was being assailed by Judaizing heretics. They demanded the whole congregation begin obeying the law of Moses and insisted all the men get circumcised. So, let's address that first matter. Obeying the law. They loudly, obnoxiously proclaimed the law in order to browbeat people into doing what they wanted. Wear the tassels, go to Jerusalem, do the sacrifices. If anyone should mention what the apostle to the Gentiles had written, of course they immediately questioned his pedigree to sow doubt in their hearts and to get them again on the plantation, so to speak, of obeying the law. Every little jot, every little tittle. In the very first chapter of this epistle, St. Paul condemns these false teachers as anathema for having preached a false gospel. That's Galatians 1, verses 6 through 9. And then he establishes his qualifications. Hey, I am really an apostle. Regarding the Judaizers, though, he says they are condemned as false brothers, secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, 
so that they might bring us into slavery, Galatians 2.4. He condemns them in such clear terms because the law cannot save you. To attempt to live by the Torah is to enslave yourself to a task of earning heaven which is impossible to complete. Think of it, beloved. God's commandments, written in our hearts, proclaim that in order to make our way into heaven by ourselves, we must always do good, always avoid doing bad, always think only good, and never think any bad. And do this all perfectly until the day we expire. From Leviticus 18 verse 5, You shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules. If a person does them, he shall live by them. Yet St. Paul says that this is impossible. Quote, All who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Galatians 3.10, citing Deuteronomy 27, verse 26. So if the proposition is that perfect adherence to the law leads to eternal life, the apostle rebuffs the notion on account of one simple fact. Should you sin, even once, you are accursed, doomed to destruction. The law cannot save you because you can't save you. Now, don't presume that we Lutherans are any better than the Judaizers here. After all, we do know, surely, that the law cannot save you. Obedience to the law cannot save you. We all understand that. That's why we reject the errors of Rome and the errors of Eastern Orthodoxy. We even tell the Calvinists, hey, you're looking for assurance of salvation in your works, thinking that your sanctification means that you're elect. Sure, but well-meaning confessional Lutherans do worse than Rome or the Orthodox because we have a habit of anathematizing everything that breathes. Oh, you don't think John 6 has anything to do with communion? Uh, then you hate the Bible and you destroy faith. Oh, you don't think racism is literally murder? Anathema, heretic. What's this about Mary, I hear? It either means that you're a disgusting pervert about Mary or a raving Gnostic about Mary. Either way, we call you damned. Lutherans are so busy these days hurling damnation, demanding perfect submission to their self-proclaimed papacy and, quote, doing polemics at each other, that the average layman, if he took these voices seriously, would be afraid to think or say anything lest he lost his salvation at the drop of a pin. At least with the Judaizers, Rome and Constantinople, at least they have a goal when putting converts on the hamster wheel. We Lutherans have been putting out a message that makes the worst Talmudic Judaizer blush, screaming one wrong move and you're damned until we're hoarse in the throat. Oh, and uh, <clears throat> if you're one of those quote-unquote winsome types that thinks you're getting away with this, the winsome people are the worst offenders. We need to quit that. We need to repent of that because it's Gnosticism. And it is a Gnosticism that says, you are not saved by the blood of Christ, you are saved by putting in the hours of study that you need to do to align all of your Lutheran beliefs with mine. And nowadays, since there seems to be as many Lutheranisms as there are Lutherans, people have this bad habit of, well... 
contradicting other guys who are contradicting other guys and keeping everybody on their toes, anxious to do the good work of perfecting and purifying their doctrine, lest they be anathematized by every other Lutheran. You see, we've become Judaizers just as bad as Rome or Constantinople. Just as bad as the actual Judaizers there, the quote-unquote Hebrew roots Christians out there who circumcise their kids and do all sorts of other nasty things. Why is that? St. Paul says, Before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. If we, as Lutherans, well-meaning Lutherans, imprison people according to our understanding of the first and second commandments, false teaching is constructing another god. False teaching is taking God's name in vain, and we've honed in on that so much that we're demanding perfect dogma, perfect doctrine, so hard that we are suddenly telling everybody they're damned. We're imprisoning souls. We're binding Christians. We have forgotten what St. Paul says in verse 24. The law was our guardian, a child keeper, until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. Shouldn't we be talking mostly about Jesus? Shouldn't we be talking a little bit more about the good news? I understand the impulse to want pure doctrine. I agree. But... When it turns people into prisoners, when it turns people into slaves, constantly running the hamster wheel trying to earn enough merit before the eyes of other Lutherans to whom they would like to qualify, we've forgotten the freedom that we have. So the law was once our guardian. It kept us free from so many destructive false religions out there because it pointed us to a savior. Now, if you were baptized as a baby, certainly the law is not necessarily a guardian, but it still functions as a friend. It still points you to Jesus. It still guides your actions. The Holy Spirit absolutely tells us, hey, this is what you ought to do. But never forget the freedom that you have in Christ. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. Jesus looks at the law and he says, well, thank you, law. Thank you, Moses, but I have died for this dear child. He is free. He's not always going to get it right. He's not always going to be perfect. He's not always going to have exactly the right ideas on everything, and certainly he's not going to have the right conduct, but I have died for this dear precious child of mine, and he is going to be with me. Come alongside, dear law. And let us work on this man's soul together. The law is no longer lorded over you, holding a rope that you can't reach to climb out the pit. No, instead, Christ is the one that brought you out, and now the law stands beside you as a friend who then condemns you if you find yourself in some nasty sin. It is the mirror according to the second use. But we see here that in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. Now that's where we go from liberty to equality. And oh boy, did the Judaizers have some things to say about that, didn't they? 
If the law was not a factor in the Judaizing heresy, there was still the matter of circumcision. The Judaizers exhorted, required, and demanded circumcision for all the men of the Gentile believers. Now, why would they do this? Because to the Judaizer, the work of Christ upon the cross is only an entryway. Their gospel was this, that the atonement was merely the means by which Gentiles may be turned into Jews. They raised up the name and heritage of Abraham as a kind of mascot to lend themselves credibility. Should someone say Christ died for their sins and freed them from the law, a Judaizer, being of obvious Jewish extraction, would snort and say, Poor filthy Gentile dog, do you not know that Abraham is my father? And our God gave him a covenant of circumcision. Your ancestors were given nothing. And as far as I am concerned, you have no ancestry at all compared to what we Jews have. You must be circumcised if you want to be adopted into this family, and by the grace of God, Jesus permits you to make the cut. Now, before we balk at the Judaizers for this despicable appropriation of Father Abraham, we must not run so quickly to pride, at least for certain churches. Yes, churches commit a similar sin today, with a very similar attitude. Oh, you want to take communion? Go through two years of RCIA. Earn your associate's degree in Catholicism, and then you may have the body of Christ. Oh, you want to be baptized? Well, the most holy Eastern Orthodox Church has determined that you ought to be perfect in all things before earning your union with Christ. Don't forget your books and perfect attendance. These church bodies have a nasty habit of telling people they must go through all sorts of special rituals and obedience to join the most holy and apostolic super awesome church, which is totally the one true church trademark. And it uses the same logic that the Judaizers have. It is the apologetic that says, what we have is special, what you have is not. Only the Jews hold up Abraham and Moses, while these magisterial types hold up their popes, their bishops, their metropolitans, their monks, and their nice pretty buildings. The Judaizers used Abraham to justify requiring circumcision. The magisterials used their supposed apostolic heritage to require their dogma absorption classes. Regarding the issue of ancestry and heritage, St. Paul tells us plainly that our ancestry does not matter when it comes to salvation or belonging to God's people. Do you want to be Abraham's child? Believe in Jesus. Do you want to be part of God's Israel? Trust in Christ. He says, in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. There is no need to worry about lineage this or ancestry that. God does not require it of you. And in case that did not make the point any clearer, it is no longer circumcision that matters for being part of God's people. It is baptism. As the Apostle says, as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Note that scripture does not say, as many of you as were baptized into this church or that have put on Christ. You are not baptized into Moses, 
nor baptized into Rome, nor baptized into Constantinople, or first reformed over on Mulberry Street, you are baptized into Christ. To emphasize this, St. Paul dramatically lists off all the disparate peoples that are included here. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. No one is cut off from Christ on account of the circumstances of their birth. A pious Jew's mile-long genealogical list does not get him any closer to salvation. A proud Greek's Athenian or Spartan heritage does not impress our Lord. The most genteel aristocracy is at the same level as the poorest pauper. Christ invites both to put him on in holy baptism. You see, we Christians have much to rejoice in then. We're freed from the hamster wheel that the law presents to us. The rat race of trying to earn your way to salvation, to earn your way into heaven when the law never promised you the ability to actually do that. And we don't have to worry about our heritage. We don't have to get our peepees snipped as a sign of new heritage. No, heaven forbid. We have the freedom in Christ to say to the law, You are my friend now, but Christ is my God. We have the freedom to say, I am going to operate by the Holy Spirit. And yes, we can take pride in our heritage. Absolutely, we're going to get to that. But no longer can anybody come up to us and say, you must abandon your people, abandon your heritage, and join yourself with us if you want to go to heaven. You can rebuff that and laugh at the man who would tell you to worship his race or see his ethnicity as being salvific and tell him, ha, God is no respecter of persons. Jesus Christ died for me too not just those of the line of Abraham. Thank you very much. Have a nice day. So we have equality and freedom. But in the biblical sense, not in the modern sense. Like I said, this passage has been abused and mangled by people that hate Jesus. Their real gods are the gods of the Enlightenment, with those two grand virtues, freedom and equality, interpreted to mean doing whatever on earth you want, and equality as having zero distinctions between persons. This passage cannot mean either of those things. Reading Romans chapter 6, or even the book of Ephesians, even any time Christ and the apostles tell us to do anything, the understanding is that we were freed in order to do something. We were freed from the law. We were freed from sin, death, and the devil. So we were freed from the requirement to earn our place. And we were freed from the slavery, the shackles of sin and death and the devil. But that is not freedom to do whatever on earth we want. Lord knows he bought us for a price. He wants to see Christ reflected in us. He wants to see us become better than what we were. Now truly, the law was our guardian that we may be justified by faith. The law points you to a savior that is great. But thank God 
The Ten Commandments don't get erased from the Bible the moment you believe in Christ Jesus. They are now your friend to show you that this great God, this Savior here, has provided that obedience for you and it invites you to walk in his paths. So he says, in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. And you've put on Christ in your baptism. How does a son of God act? How does a baptized child who has put on Christ act? Well, you act like the son of God. You act like the very Christ who dwells within you, united to you since your baptism. This is a freedom, St. Paul is saying, to be what God intended you to be. And that means we want to be careful to please our Lord. That does involve more breathing room than the Mosaic law permitted. Praise the Lord. And we don't have to have consciences that are constantly bound by our own sin, beating us half to death, leading people to go mad with attempts at self-justification and self-righteousness, or giving up and living faithless, nihilistic lives. Now we can say, with my salvation secure in Christ, I can do my best. I can do my best to love him with everything I've got and to love my neighbor as myself. That is St. Paul's freedom. Now regarding also further heritage, the equality. This is a soteriological equality. Verse 28, we got to read it again, says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, People that worship the Enlightenment see that as breaking down the barriers between persons and groups so that there is absolute equality between all people forever and ever. Everybody is interchangeable and the same. Of course, that is wrong. St. Paul would never, ever have that implication. Did the Atonement truly obliterate all differences between persons? Does it take away an individual's station, ethnicity, or sex? Of course not. It would be unjust for our Lord to do so. The same apostle who wrote this verse also told wives to submit to their husbands, Ephesians 5.22 and Colossians 3.18. He told slaves to obey their masters in Ephesians 6 verse 5. And he said the Jews had distinct advantages for hearing the gospel on account of their ancestry and culture, Romans 3 verses 1 through 4. He absolutely teaches us distinction between persons, but in this verse, the exception is made regarding salvation. How does this work? God created you. He created you exactly how he wanted you to be regarding your sex, your race, your ancestry, your station in life, how much money you have, what you are going to do for a living. He has counted the number of hairs on your head. Does the gospel really, truly consist of God undoing his creation? The same God that when he created the heavens and the earth, and on the sixth day he looks at it and he goes, Mehol, almost shocked at how good his creation turned out. Do you think that very same God, from before the world was created, would also decree, yeah, you know what, all those people that I'm going to create, they need to be putty. 
They need to be gray blobs that interchange one between another. Of course not. God likes his creation. He wants you to thrive as he has made you. Remember that the book of Galatians is responding to a heresy that wants people to forsake their heritage, forsake their persons, forsake their tradition, their people, their kin, and their families to be absorbed into another people group. That is exactly what the Judaizing heresy was telling Gentile Christians to do. And people out there who worship freedom and equality out there, people who hold to these Enlightenment values, have said to the Judaizers, you know, you're only wrong in the group that you want people dissolved into. You want them all to be dissolved into Judaism, into your Jewish heritage, we want them to be dissolved into uh, maybe the church, maybe civic society. We, we really want people to have zero differences between them, completely interchangeable people, uh, but for our group instead. Can you believe that? The Enlightenment and everybody's current favorite ideologies, the most popular ones, are essentially Judaizers in that they want you to forsake your heritage instead of rejoicing that God has not only made you the way he made you, but also invited you to be saved. The feminist thinker gets mad at the Bible. She says, well, if wives have to submit to their husbands, then that means God loves husbands more than wives. And St. Paul says, no, you should be happy as a wife fulfilling your purpose and duty because God loves you just as much. He has said that you are equal to your husband before the eyes of God. You still have your station, you still have your duties as a Christian woman, but God loves you just as much and has saved you. The socialist or the Marxist thinker or even the hyper-capitalist who wants infinite opportunities for everybody, all of them say, hey, if there's rich and there's poor and they have their station in life, then my goodness, that must mean God loves the rich more than the poor and God says no. Both of them are invited to put on Christ in holy baptism. Both of them are children of Abraham according to faith in Christ. You don't have to have a revolution to try to obliterate these or force everybody to have the same income in order for God to love you or for you to have dignity and happiness in your station. You can be happy where you are, and if God presents you an opportunity to be poorer or be richer, he loves you just as much. He has just as much blessed you with the treasures of heaven as Bill Gates. He has even extended the same gracious offer of salvation to the poorest of the poor. This is St. Paul giving us dignity in our station, dignity in how we were made, to rebuff the Judaizer who said that wasn't good enough. Praise God. Praise the Lord, we have that dignity to say, yes, I come from these people and God loves me, even though I don't come from the loins of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am invited to rejoice in who I am. I am invited to rejoice in what God has made me. In my case, a silly Frenchman running ministry online to help out the catacomb synod. <laughs> 
that's okay because God loves me just as much as the brick and mortar church pastor that has five, six hundred parishioners. That's okay. He loves me just as much as he loves that guy. And his heritage and my heritage before God are equal. We can both rejoice in that and in the new heavens and new earth to come without having to delete our inheritance or our ancestry. I praise the Lord for it. So that is the biblical conception of liberty and equality put here in Galatians 3 verses 23 through 29. It is much to rejoice over rather than groaning and rolling our eyes at how moderns have abused it. Let us rejoice in Christ who gives us true Christian freedom and a true Christian home. Uh, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.